0: so we've spent the last um, four weeks now talking about myths we love to believe and I'll get to that in just a minute let me say hi to our friends who are over in the family room in the block today glad you guys are there and uh Dean and Meadow brought their little baby ward to church today for the first time so pretty cool over there yeah you guys here don't know who Dean and Meadow are, that's okay, but it's a family over there in the family room. So someday you might want to go check it out and see what's going on. It's a very cool atmosphere to be able to worship God together in that place. So glad you guys are there, glad you guys are here. Um, we're talking about myths that we love to believe. Now when I say that, I'm not, I'm not saying that you deliberately and passionately... Uh, Uh, engage or embrace falsehood about God. I'm not saying that. That's kind of what the title makes it sound like. Miss, we love to believe. Oh, we love to believe these things that are not true. I'm not saying it that way. I'm just saying that there are certain things in popular religious belief like pop culture religion, there are certain things that they sort of get into our minds and into our hearts, and it 's stuff that the bible doesn't say is true that the Bible would say these things are not true, but we sort of we sort of glom onto those things, and once they get into our soul, once they get into our spiritual practices and spiritual belief systems, they die hard and it 's hard to get them out and I thought you know we ought to, we ought to just talk about some of these myths and try and get these out of our hearts because they distract us from reality about God and they actually damage our relationship with God, right? Because a myth is something that's not true, right? And so a myth about God is something that's not true about God and every time you embrace something that's not true about someone else that you have a relationship with, that lack of truth damages the relationship, If you hide from one another in your marriage relationship or if you hide from one another or distort truth about one another in your family relationships or your work relationships, it'll damage those relationships. If you embrace that which is not true about God, it'll damage your relationship with God because it'll be based on things that are not true about him. And so I thought well, we ought to just talk about some of the myths. There's a lot of myths about God, but let's just talk about some of them. So today we come to myth number 5. These were not laid out in any logical order that you could pay attention to that you know they made sense to me at the time. So we're going to get to myth number 5 today and it says this. The myth is God doesn't like Christians to have fun. Oh, some of you don't believe that myth. Oh, that's okay. Be paid. If, you don't, if you don't buy into that myth, you just sit back and relax until blitz happens because it's going to be a lot of fun, so you're already dialed in for that, okay? But there is a whole stream of the Christian life, of, of Christians who worship together. There's a whole stream of people who sort of think that you have to approach God from a stern manner or a somber manner or God is somehow, somehow God is not happy. He's not a happy God. He certainly doesn't want you to be happy. In fact, some people believe that God is most happy when you're not happy. Now I know, that we're, and we'll find out, that's not how the Bible lays this out, but there's a lot of people who end up being there, and although you might right off the bat reject that notion and say, no, I don't believe that, you may find as we walk along through this today that there are some aspects in your life where you live out that myth. And so I want to address that for us. Sometimes people that, that believe that you have to be somber to be able to worship God, they, they limit things in terms of people's uh, engagement with God like some churches will say some groups will say you know you if you're going to be a really honest um, faithful follower of God you can't embrace technology you know unless it's older than 200 years then then you can embrace it when then they limit what you can enjoy with that some some Christian groups say you, you should never touch alcohol you should never drink alcohol the Bible is very clear do not be drunk that's very clear but then we add to it maybe to kind of protect ourselves or because we think, well, that's, you know, that's so bad it shouldn't get involved. It's like, you should never touch it, people say. They add to the rule or they add to the, to the teaching. Some Christian groups say, you shall not dance, which I'm fine with. <laughs> Actually, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a good dancer at all. I learned a word, a childhood friend of mine posted on Facebook a word about a year ago or something like that that just, it changed my life. Actually, it's, it's the, the word is balter. Do you know the word balter? It means to dance without particular skill or expertise, but to have some enjoyment in the process. Yeah. I'm like, that's perfect for me. I would never dance in public because it's embarrassing, but I'll balter. Who cares? I don't have any skill, but I got enjoyment in doing it, right? It's like, but there are churches like no dancing and no baltering. It's because they have this belief that God doesn't like Christians to have fun. Now I want to shine some light on that myth today, and see if we can move beyond that. Some people um, believe, and I and I agree with this part. Some people believe that when God sent His Son into this world, He sent His Son to die here. He lived for the purpose of dying. Because he died for our sins. He died to take our sins away. That's serious stuff. And I totally agree with that. But some people would take it farther and say, it's serious stuff. And so it's always got to be serious. It's always got to be, you know, hardcore and somber and dark and stern and those kinds of things. And that I disagree with. And I think there's background from the Bible that would, that would back that up. I, I want to show you today a, a theology of joy. And I, I want to encourage you to embrace a theology of joy. Because I think a theology of joy changes life. And I think it's what God offers us. So let's start uh, in the Bible today, in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, pull it out and find Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's some on the chairs near you. So go ahead and reach over and take one of those. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me give you a little bit of background of Nehemiah before we get into the the reading part. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. We'll call him King Art just for keeping it short, okay? King Artaxerxes of Persia, and Nehemiah is the cupbearer. Now, when I started reading the Bible in high school, I came across this passage and I'm like, okay, I got it. I got this part dialed in. Nehemiah was a butler. I, he's, you know, he's got the black. You know, in our, I knew he didn't have it, but you know, in our world, he have a black suit and a towel over his arm, and he's the butler. He's the, he's the cup bearer. He brings wine to the king. But the more I, the older I got, and the more I studied this, I found out he's not really just a servant. He's certainly not just a butler. He's an advisor because the wine, the cup bearer, didn't just bring the cup to the king. What did he do with it? He tasted it first. Because there's always somebody who wants to take out the king. And I don't mean on a date. Right? There's always somebody who's like, okay, if I get, if I get the poison in the wine, I'll take the king out. So the king got smart. He said, I, all the kings got smart. They said, I better have a cupbearer, Somebody who tastes the wine first. Who wants to sign up for that job. It's a little risky business to sign up for that job. And here's this guy, Nehemiah. And he is somehow the cupbearer of the king. Now because he was the one who protected the king's life, the king had to absolutely trust The cupbearer. And so the cupbearer was one of the highest advisors to the king. When the cupbearer tasted the wine, said it was safe, and then brought it to the king, he was right in the king's ear. He had the king's ear. He he spoke to the king, and the king listened to the cupbearer. That's Nehemiah. One day, Nehemiah comes before the king with a sad face. Do you have a sad face? Let me see it. It's hard to do when someone asks you to give you a sad face, right? It's hard. But here's Nehemiah. He comes into the king, and he's got a sad face on, which was absolutely against the rules because the king never wanted to be sad. He didn't want to have servants being sad in his presence. You could die for this. And then one day, he'd never come in sad before the king before. But on this day, Nehemiah comes in. He's got a long face. He's very sad. And the king could have taken his life. But instead, he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you today? I've never seen you with a sad face before. Nehemiah said, well, how can I not be sad? My, my, my city of my ancestors, Jerusalem, I found out that the walls are broken down in my city. He'd never been to that city, never lived in that city. He's been part of the exiled people of God in Is, from Israel uh, into Persia, but he found out that his hometown, the walls were gone. Now, for us, that means nothing because our walls are gone already. We don't have any walls. It's a different system, but for them, the wall meant you were protected. The wall meant you were fortified. The wall meant that you could stand up against a king and his army. Now, Nehemiah is committing political and maybe personal suicide. Because he's saying to the king, I'm sad because the walls of my hometown are broken down and we can't defend ourselves against people like you, O king. Live forever king said, well, what what do you want? What do you want to do? He says, I'm I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and I want to build the walls back up. Now he's saying to the king, in your face, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go change this around. That's what I want to do. Now, again, the king could have taken him right out, but the king said, Nehemiah, you've been such a faithful servant. You go and rebuild the walls of your city and I'll pay for it. That's amazing. It's like a guy committing treason against the king and the king saying, Not only do I support you, but I'll pay for it. It's amazing. It's a miracle from God, really. Nehemiah goes with all the money that the king supplied and got a bunch of other uh, Israelites to go back from Persia back to Israel, and they began to rebuild the walls of their city. It took 52 days to rebuild the wall all around the city. That's another miracle. In Folsom, you couldn't even get a permit in 52 days. 52 days, the walls were completely restored, the city was protected again, and it had honor among the nations, and Nehemiah accomplished that 52-day feat, even in the midst of opposition and great pressure, and God did something amazing in his life. Now, when that all got done, those 52 days were over, the wall was built back up, then Nehemiah got some of the people together. By now, Nehemiah is the governor, so I'm telling you, he wasn't a butler type. He was a leader. Now he's he's the governor of Israel, and uh, and over the prov- what they called the province of Israel at that point. And he decides, you know what, we ought to have a party. We got this great thing done. God gave us a great benefit and blessing of being able to come and build back our walls. And go, let's have a party. Perfectly natural thing to do. So they gathered everyone together a couple months after the wall had been rebuilt. They got everyone together and they have a party. And to do their party, they said, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to gather at dawn, which most of you partyers are just about going to sleep about dawn. But, you know, he's like, we're going to start at dawn. We're going to go till noon. We're just going to read the Bible for, for like six or seven hours. That's our party. I don't want to hear from you about how long our services are here. <laughs> they had this party, and it all begins with the reading of the Scripture, and that's why I want to bring you into the story. In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, listen to what happens. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. It reminds me of Lakeside's playbook, Right? We got it it up over here on the third banner from the left. We offer, we at Lakeside offer clear and simple pathways to begin in faith and to belong to community and to become like Jesus. That's exactly what they were doing. It's like here's a clear way to understand God's word and to follow after him. Now, one of the challenges for the people of Israel is they hadn't heard the law read together as a group for years, for decades. They'd been in exile for 70 years. The reason they went into exile is because they already had stopped reading God's word and obeying God's word before that. So it's been a hundred years or more since they've gathered together and read the scriptures. So this generation that's hearing this, they never heard the scriptures read before. And when they heard it, it began to bring conviction into their own soul. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice a couple of things in that story. Number one, the occasion on which they were gathering, was a holy moment. Sometimes we connect, in our minds, we connect holiness and dim lights. Or holiness and somber mood. You can't be holy if you're being rowdy. You can't do those things together at the same time. Holiness and somberness, we think, goes together. So it's a holy moment. And then the people are weeping because they're listening to God's word and they had never heard it like this and and they're like we have not been obeying God and it got right to their heart and they were regretting where they'd come from so they're grieving and mourning and they want to repent and change from what the what you know the processes they lived their life by and so they're grieving and then Nehemiah says to them uh verse 9 he says this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn or weep and that says to me, the third thing that says to me, holiness and somberness are not tied at the hip. Nehemiah says, don't mourn today. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many places in the Bible does it say that something is your strength? Not very many. And so here's one. He says, look, this is how you are strong. This is how you gain strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Live in that. The myth says God does not like his people to have fun. The truth says God delights in the holy joy of his people. God God delights when you have joy in your life. God delights, I would say, and I would take this one step further, God delights when you have fun in the name of Christ. It's the beginning of a theology of joy. Now, when I look at that, I go, how do I get that? That's what I want. I want to live my life in the joy of the Lord being my strength. Isn't that what you want? Or are you, are you more like, you know, I just as soon be m- m- moany and weepy and Morose. No, I mean, we all want the same thing, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so that's what I'm looking for. How do I get that? How do I live in the joy of the Lord? Let me just give you some things that I pull out of this that I try and practice in my own life and, and live out God's joy. First thing, be clear on the source of joy for your life. Be clear on it. Where does it come from? Ezra, who's the one who read the scriptures that day, and Nehemiah, the one who was the governor, used to be the cupbearer, both those men got to write a book that got included in the Bible. Best gig for an author. right? You're going to write a book, and it's going to land in the Bible. The word of God lasts forever. So Ezra and Nehemiah both got one. And in each of their books, they wrote a little phrase. One of them used it twice. One of them used the phrase three times. The phrase says this, And the gracious hand of my God was upon me. If I were you, I'd write that one down. The gracious hand of my God was upon me. Have you ever noticed that the grace of your God is upon you? That the gracious hand of your God is upon you? Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you didn't put it in those words because that's not exactly how we talk, right? But I can tell you, I can just flat out tell you that if you're here in this room today or if you're in the family room today, you have had the gracious hand of God on you. I know it's true. I look back at my life and my life's been up and down and all those kinds of things just like your life has been. But there's not a single day in the course of my life where the gracious hand of my God has not been on me. And I fully believe that's the same with you. We don't always feel it. We don't always experience it. We're blinded to it sometimes because of the challenges that come into our lives. But there's not a day in your life that you have lived without the gracious hand of your God being on you. We have a little custom in our world, right? When, when, when you see people you haven't seen for a week or something in the lobby. You come to church and you see each other, you know, or you're in a supermarket and you see someone you know. What do you do? We have a custom in our world. How, how, what do you say? Hello. That's nice. Yes, yeah, right. And then what comes after that? How are you? How's it going? What, you know, what's up? Something like that. We want to find out how it's going. Then we have this little trite thing that we usually say, right? How are you? fine <laughs> apply fine to china i mean fine china it's like what well, fine that's not what fine china we did never mind so anyway so no so we got this little custom right how are you i'm fine how about this someone you someone sees you in the lobby they sees you at the store see you at the store they see you at the platio or whatever you know and they and they go hi how are you and you go the gracious hand of my god has been on me That would be sweet, man. They'd leave scratching their heads. It's like, I don't know what that was, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> the gracious hand of my God has been on me. We ought to test drive that phrase together. I think we ought to test drive. Are you, Are you in? Can we test drive the phrase together? You guys in the family room, are you in? Good. I can't hear you, but I'm sure you said yes. So... So let's put it up on the screen, and let's just practice this. Let's say it together, all right? One, two, three. The gracious hand of my God has been on me. That was weak. All right, that sort of sounded churchy, like the gracious hand of my God has been on me. Okay, I said it. I did it. Okay, let's say it again with like, with, like, passion. Okay? Here we go. One, two, three. The gracious hand of my God has been on me nice So now we're getting close okay good now one more time with conviction like it really has been on you like it really has okay one two three the gracious hand of my god has been on me yeah now now yeah yay so thank you very much so you can change that around a little i mean you can kind of modernize it if you want you know it's like god's been gracious to me lately i don't know i kind of like the gracious hand of my god has been on me that's kind of great right so the next time someone says hi to you how are you What are you going to say? (laughs) They're not going to believe you. Got to say it with conviction. All right? But that's what they did. They understood the source of their joy. The gracious hand of my God has been on me. That's been true every single day of your life. If you would just acknowledge that's where joy comes from. Second thing, Nehemiah goes on and he says... In verse 10, he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. If you were in the South, you would say, go get some barbecue and sweet tea. Right now, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what we do in California for that, but get something you like. For me, get a cheeseburger and some peppermint ice cream. Perfect. Make it a shake. That's Now it's a drink. It's like, oh, perfect. Right? Get some choice food and some sweet drink and enjoy it. Sometimes, and this is where this this myth lands on us sometimes and we're not really aware that we believe it. Sometimes we feel like when we have some good thing to enjoy, we better not enjoy it too much because somebody else doesn't have something. Sometimes we fail to enjoy the things that God has given to us because we feel guilty because somebody else doesn't have that thing. What you're saying when when you tamp down the joy with that is you're saying, I believe God doesn't want Christians to have fun. Nehemiah says, look, there's a time. There's a time for everything, the Bible says. There's a time to weep and there's a time to mourn. But on this day, go get some good food and some sweet drink and enjoy it. Enjoy it, experience it, embrace it. And then the third thing is, in the process, share it. Share it with somebody else. The joy overflows when you share it with somebody else. He says there's some people around you that don't have anything prepared. What you've got, that choice food and sweet drink, then share it with somebody else. Because that will multiply your joy. Now let's just stop and try and get this to be real for a minute. Really, I think it's all been real, but let's get really real. Um, There's three reasons Three reasons that I um, put this talk on this weekend. First reason is because Blitz starts tomorrow, and I'm like, we're gonna have a whole theology of fun lived out on our campus for the next four days. It's gonna be fantastic. We ought to think in terms of joy and joyful theology before we get there. So I put it here at this weekend for this reason. I put it on this uh, weekend because it's my birthday today. So, yeah. <laughs> See why I don't dance? That was baltering. So anyways, my birthday. I thought, you know, we ought to have some fun. It's my birthday, so, and I'm the guy who gets to say what we're going to talk about. So there, we're going to have a uh, theology of fun. And then the third reason I put this on this weekend, or put this in this series at least, is because I struggle with this one. This is one of the ones that somehow in my life I got, I got into this system of thinking. Not that I would ever say God doesn't want Christians to have fun. That seems, you know, obviously silly to me. But there are places in my life where sometimes... I feel guilty if I have fun. Uh, there are places where I I don't know how to have fun. I don't know how to enjoy what God has given to me. There are some places in my life where I believe the myth about God that being holy means to be somber. Being holy means to be quiet. It can mean somber. It can mean quiet. But it doesn't have to be. I'm a I'm a perfectionist by nature. I used to think that was a strength. I no longer think that's a strength. Because those of us who are perfectionists never get to fully enjoy anything because it's never exactly good enough. And some of you are just like me. And God says to those of us like that, he says, I want you to cut loose. I want you to enjoy the good gifts that I've given to you. I want you to develop a theology of fun. Think about this, mirth, merriment, pleasure, play, those are all synonyms for fun. And none of those are detrimental to our following Jesus. Or think about it like this, laughter never brings Jesus shame. That one helps me. Laughter never brings Jesus shame. What would happen if you would build a theology of fun in your life? And I could do it for you. I could build you a theology of fun, but maybe it would be better if you built it yourself. Let me, what if I just gave you a framework from, of some scriptures and said, Hey, check out these scriptures and see what God says about the joy of the Lord being your strength from these things. So let me just give you a framework for a theology of fun. Then you go back and study it out and figure out how you can live this out in your own life. All right? Five scriptures I want to just kind of run through quickly for you and let you figure this out. First one is Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is in jail, and he's not visiting people in jail. He's in jail. He's locked up in jail. He's with his friend Silas, and they're singing. It's midnight, and they're singing praise songs to Jesus in the jail. They're having fun, even though they're in prison. About midnight, the earth quakes, and the earth shakes so violently that the gates of the prison open up, and their chains fall off, and now they're free. along with all the other prisoners now who's having fun right and at about that moment the jailer looks up he sees the earthquake he's been listening to the music all night long going that's really weird prisoners are singing that doesn't happen and then he sees the earthquake he sees the prisoners are all free he takes out his sword because he knows that if any of those prisoners escape the governor's going to have his head literally so he takes his own sword he's about to fall on it and take his own life and Paul shouts out to him he goes no 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 we're all still here The jailer says to Paul and to the others, he goes, I'll, I'll have what they're having. And that's what he says, right? It's like, I'll, I'll, you guys, but this Jesus thing, i got to figure out this Jesus thing. I don't get this, but I want what you have. And Paul and Silas led the jailer to faith in Christ that night. Now who's having fun? There's a celebration in that jail cell that night. That's, that's another passage along with Nehemiah that gets you started on a theology of fun. And then along with that, check out 1 Samuel chapter 18. Or check out 2 Samuel chapter 6. Or check out Psalm 122. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I never would have understood that as a child going to Sunday school. You know, we didn't have anything cool like Kids Fest. We didn't have, it, was just, it wasn't designed like that. We had flannel graph boards. Never really got that stuff, you know. Um, But the psalm writer says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. that would be like my mom coming in and saying, let's go to church. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it ought to be for our children and for us. Now, that's not to say we'll never be quiet. It's not to say we'll never be reflective. But it doesn't have to always be like that just because it's holy. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. And then the last one, Luke chapter 15. Build your theology of fun on this. This has become my favorite story in all the world. It's a story about a man who had two sons. The younger one took off with a third of his father's possessions, with his father's blessing. And when he went off to a distant country, he squandered everything his father gave him with prostitutes and other bad things. And when he came back, a broken man, a broke man, comes back to his dad. He says, I can't be your son anymore, but would you make me a servant? His dad says, are you kidding me? And he got his servants, his real servants. He said, you guys bring out the best of everything we have. Bring the fattened calf and kill it because we're going to have a party. And the father initiates the party. The father initiates the fun. And the father in this story represents God. And we have, for some of us, we have this view that it's like God's not fun and God doesn't have fun. It's like God, the father, initiates the party. It's the, it's the sourpuss older son who comes to the party but won't go in because he doesn't want to have a party. And he doesn't understand his father's heart. And his father's the one who initiated the party. Put that in your, theo, in your theology of fun. For the next four days, we're going to have a living experience of a theology of fun together. We call it Blitz. 1,500 children learning what it's like to live in the joy of the Lord. It's going to be a great, great time. And I want you to meet one of our leaders as we wrap up today. I want you to meet one of our leaders who's going to help us with Blitz. This is Rachel Wells. Why don't you guys welcome up Rachel, please? So Rachel is going to serve as one of our um, dance leaders for our dance team for Blitz. We do, the whole, we do a lot of dancing and probably baltering at Blitz. And uh, Rachel's going to lead that. And Rachel's been a lakesider for a long time. Uh, great follower of Christ with a lot of joy, but not everything in your life has always been all that easy, and um, let's, I want to hear about your children a little bit. So you've had, you have four children, mm-hmm. and they all have suffered some kind of medical challenge. Yep. Tell us about that.
1: Um, so all four of ours have had some sort of condition or another that requires specialist intervention. Um, some are benign and so far, and some have been pretty difficult, and some of you may have seen our little baby had a helmet for a while for one condition, and um, I would say the two hardest and longest for us were our middle two who had an immune deficiency, um, so for the first two to three years of their life, they can't fight any infection, they're very, very sick, and, um, and there were some dark days, and uh, there was, it, yeah, there was some times where we just prayed, you know what, if it's your will, just take her, because this is kind of stressful, at this point, And um, in all of it, though, I found that we were surrounded by amazing support people here at the church, family and friends around us. And every time we turned a new corner, there was a doctor that was phenomenal and loving and ready to help us in all the situations. So it was dark, but it was good.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned about you, Rachel, uh, is that you have at some point made a conscious choice to move toward joy. Yeah right? Describe that for us.
1: Uh, so I love the verse in James that says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind, because I find that we can be joyful in everything. And um, one of my favorite times is worship. And um, and I have this vision when I get into worship, I am like all out and I am singing and my arms are going and I'm faltering, And I have um, my cheesy God up there with me che- and
0: Cheesy odd? Cheesy. Okay.
1: Because I have a vision of him as I'm singing, and he's with me, and he's apparently baltering because I balter, so he must balter, and we're both off rhythm on our clapping and trying, and we're off tune, because if I'm off tune, he must be, and he's up there like, you go girl, keep trying, you know, and I feel like he's excited for me because of my efforts with my lack of skill, and um. And I find that um, the best way for me to reach this is I live with gratitude first. So I remember when Ainsley um, was diagnosed with the condition she had, but it wasn't leukemia, which is what we went in for, and I was excited. I was like, it's not leukemia, and they're like, but it is this other, that's okay, it's not leukemia, and that's kind of how each thing has been, is we are so grateful for either the the doctors or the people or what we don't have. And I think there's gratitude everywhere that you can find. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because the gracious hand of your God is on me. Right? I'm
1: practicing still. Yeah, good. that's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you, how you think or how you feel like the joy of the Lord uh, expresses your faith.
1: Oh, it's, I think it's all tied together. And, um, and I love that. I, I feel like the relationship I have with God is we meet in the mornings and I give him the stuff that's heavy. And I say, here's my concerns, and there's plenty of medical stuff. Um, and there 's my son broke his tooth at his house <laughs> <That's our laughs> latest one
0: for um, that up <laughs> <yeah. laughs>
1: there 's always something that we 're worried about, light like that or heavy and so I give that to God, and I say, "You take this, and he does he 's glad to do that, and he says, "Then you take this, and he gives me the joy, and I feel like that 's the relationship he wants is he wants to walk with me and and hold my hands so that he can fill me up and let me love on others and my girlfriend, I said, I don't know how I do all the joy thing. And she says, because you don't ever say why. You just say, okay, God, you take it. Let's move on and keep going and look for the, the brightness in life. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Tell us about some more activities that you do to build joy into your life.
1: Um, so I love smiling. And I can tell you that all of you are smiling back at me because once you start smiling, people can't do the sad face. They're like, it's infectious. So I love that. And we love dancing. We love all-out worship at our house, and um, as I've been doing this with Brad, people are coming up to me telling me, well, this other thing you do is really cheesy, too, that I didn't realize. Like, we went to Disneyland, and um, they have happy birthday badges, and so I told my kids when I realized that, I said, oh, while we're here, we have to find every person that has a badge and wish them a happy birthday by name, and my kids were like, yeah, okay, so we were hunting people down, yanking their arms, saying happy birthday, Brad, and they were all like, Th- thank you, and it was really exciting, and on that note, it is someone's birthday today, they've agreed to turn me off, if you guys will sing happy birthday with me, no, are you guys ready, <laughs> okay, happy birthday nice. to you, happy birthday, I'm still on, <laughs> yeah,
0: you're on, <laughs> keep her on, <laughs> <laughs> cha cha. Oh, <look> <laughs> <laughs> <There he is. laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. Hmm. Uh-huh. I got a balter all afternoon for yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> um, let's see. Let me ask one more question to you Rachel. Um, we have talked a lot at Lakeside here over the last year or so about oikos, right? You've been with us for a while. You know that an oikos is the Greek word for household, extended family, kind of sphere of influence. And we believe God has strategically placed every one of us in a group of 8 to 15 people or so that he says, I want you to love them and serve them and care for them, right? And you live in an oikos, so I want you to tell us how your, the joy of the Lord has blessed your oikos.
1: Um, So my oikos is flourishing, and I didn't know a year ago what an oikos was, and I was waiting because I assumed that people in the church, if you feel blessed and ready, you wait for the call. So I was waiting for God to call me and tell me, go to Africa or, you know, uh, Mexico or whatever, and all of a sudden they start this oikos thing, and I realize, oh, I'm actually ignoring these people right around me, and this gift of joy that I used to be kind of ashamed of because... Not everyone is blessed with joy. So there was a little bit of guilt, like, oh, they're kind of sad. I I don't want to show them my joy because then they might be a little more angry. It all of a sudden clicked, like, no, I have joy to give it to others. So whatever your gift is, it's there for a reason. So I started serving my oikos and being really intentional with the people I would meet. And it has been amazing. And they smile and they laugh and we bake for them or we feed them, whatever it is. I feel like I'm finally fulfilling the mission that he has me on, like right here, right now. And I never thought of that before.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. And this week, your oikos is going to expand to like 1,500.
1: I will be baltering away up here.
0: Awesome. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) All right. So here's what I want you to do um, as as, uh, Rachel leads our baltering team or dance team here at Blitz this week. I want you to be praying for her. I want you to be praying for the other leaders All 600 of them who are blessing these children here and pray for the children that they would pick up what the joy of the Lord looks like in their own life as they follow Jesus. Okay, would you do that? And then in the same process, pray for yourself as you build out a theology of joy and you go, okay, God, I'm living in the joy of of who you are and what you've done in my life. Good? Mm -hmm. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do. You are good and amazing, so thank you for that. Uh, Lord, thanks for Rachel. Would you bless her as she blesses our children this week? Would it, uh, again, bless all the leaders who are blessing our children? Uh, may this week be fantastic. And Lord, may that be true for our, the rest of my friends here, right here in the room and in the family room. Bless them as well. May your joy um, lodge into our heart and may it expand there and grow and grow and then begin to infect others and shape what goes on in this world. Lord, I know that sad things come. I know that loss happens, of course. But in the midst of those things, I know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So give us your grace to live that out, to honor you, to enjoy you forever. We pray through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.